0: Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. I'm your host, Heather Stark. We cover a lot of difficult issues, an issue that we have not addressed in several months, and and I feel bad about that because we really should. It's a huge topic. And uh, we're going to make up for that today with our wonderful guest, and that is uh, human trafficking, sexual trafficking. And we have a guest who not only uh, has studied this and who knows the statistical and uh, global issues surrounding uh, trafficking, she has also had personal experience with this herself. Siobhan Sam Bennett, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you so much, Heather. An honor to be with you.
0: Siobhan has had a history of working for women. She was the CEO of a leading uh, national political uh, advancement and uh, organization. She's former CEO of an organization in Washington, D.C., working to get women elected to office. And most recently, she's worked for a legal defense and education um, organization as the chief strategist. Chief Strategic Officer, and so she has a, a, a vast experience in working in these kinds of issues. But today we're going to talk about not necessarily her her uh, previous experience in all those fields. Today we're going to talk about sex trafficking. Thank you, Sam. Let's start out by, for those folks who are not uh, that familiar with the topic or who perhaps feel they need a refresher, what is sex traffic and why do we care here in America? Isn't that something that only happens in Shanghai or something?
1: Well, that's a very, very good um, observation. I think it does reflect, Heather, how most people view human trafficking. Um, I myself uh, am a, I'm sort of the um, living, breathing example of the face of U.S. sexual trafficking. Um I ran away from home to escape uh, sex abuse from a family friend and ended up in Port Authority, um, which is a common place where runaways go. Um, We're now talking about the uh, mid-70s, 1970s, and um, promptly whisked into um, human sexual trafficking um, because that was a pipeline. They would watch for runaways like myself and pluck them right off the bus literally. Um, and that is a, a the common face of let trafficking in the, the United States. What's up? Yeah, let me interrupt you for just
0: a moment, because for those of us who are not particularly city people, what is Port Authority? I, you,
1: you know, I have no idea what Port Authority is. Oh, and how good would point. You, and, um, Port Authority is the largest transport hub of its type in the country. Um, in one of the largest in the world. Um, it's in our nation's largest city, one of the largest cities in the world, and uh, Midtown, and that is where all the buses come in and out from around the country, um, and there, that is also where the trains and the subways all converge. The only thing it doesn't have is airplanes, Heather, but it's got everything else, and that's Port Authority um, Transport Center in New York City. So
0: as you fled your, the abuse at your, in your home, you just hopped a bus and that's where
1: it took you? Is that the, basically what happened? That is correct, yeah. But I, I knew I was going. I was, knew I was going to New York City. That was my goal. And mm-hmm. uh, New York City is a common uh, destination for runways across the country. So this idea that uh, human trafficking he- happens elsewhere is completely fictitious. It's a very healthy and vibrant trade in the United States. Um, A certain percentage come uh, from outside the country and are brought in. A certain percentage are from runaways, as I was. And a certain percentage are lured in through online ads, um, which result in what's called unknown venues. Um, But they're pulled in um, that way. And that is how the business is run.
0: In this day and age where everything is so open and we talk about um, um, uh, sexual abuse, we talk about things uh, even at very young ages in schools, um, still young, uh, this is primarily
1: women but not exclusively young women, right? That is correct. That is correct, yeah. 79, the the numbers can vary a little bit, but on average somewhere between 75 to 80% are women and the balance, women and girls the balance thing would be men and young men. That is correct. But I think what jumps off the page is the human National Human Trafficking Hotline, um, which is an incredible resource that's out there. Um, I'll be happy, Heather, to share that number at the end of our, our time together. Um, they estimate that only 4% of trafficking incidents are reported. So the estimates that we see out, sorry, the estimates that are out there vary so wildly um, in terms of, you know, how much trafficking is happening globally, how much trafficking is happening in the United States. And I attribute, and this is just speaking for myself, as a non-expert, but yet someone who's deeply, in, you know, informed about this um, industry, for lack of a better word, disturbing um, and illicit industry, um, one of the the, the most distinguishing hallmarks of of sexual abuse, of sexual trafficking, of the whole um, consolation of sexual trauma is shame, guilt, and silence. The victim blames themselves, the survivor blames themselves, because, Heather, that's almost the only way you can survive. Because if we thought, Heather, that the world was a place where the abuse we had, um, that we had experienced, the assault that we had experienced, was um, the fault of the universe. We literally couldn't walk out our door anymore. So what we do is we turn inward. We blame ourselves. If only I hadn't done X, Y, or Z, this incredible thing wouldn't have happened to me. And when we're ashamed, we stay silent. So this is truly a hidden epidemic, and I think the United Nations, in their work, they have this very easily accessible report, Heather, um, United Nations Report on Human Trafficking Exposing a Modern Form of Slavery. I love that title. Um, You know, United Nations points out in in their work that um, not only is there this misapprehension that it happens in other countries and not in the United States. Or for example, English. I don't think it's happening in Britain. I think it's happening right in in Asia, for example, in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Rather horrifically, thirty percent of the countries which provide information on gender of the traffickers, that women make up the largest proportion of traffickers. In some parts of the world, women trafficking women is the norm. So if we're wow. blasting through if we're blasting through misperception. About this, this illicit and degrading industry, that is a hard, cold fact. That
0: is shocking to me. It is absolutely shocking and yet not necessarily surprising. Um, I, it's kind of the, uh, and this is going to really date me, but do you remember Phyllis Schlafly? Sure,
1: she of course, was, there was a recent Netflix um, um, series about
0: yeah. Her. Exactly. And I, she was a woman who deep in her soul thought that if she adopted and joined the boys network and started espousing all of their beliefs and and their, their uh, information that she would then become accepted by uh, one of the boys networks. And of course that was disastrous because women can never be part of the boys networks. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot with uh, people, women, who get into industry that is traditionally uh, male, whether that be um, the judicial system or Mm -hmm. whether it be a manufacturing company. It's like they are trying to self-preserve by becoming one of the guys and out-guying the guys. Well, that
1: Uh, makes Every well may be true. again, this is an area where I'm not an ex- expert, but deeply informed. I would also attribute some of this to once you're in the life, you know it, it's a small miracle that I myself, I'm a happily married, long standing marriage, incredible children, all well adjusted, have had a wonderful career of public service in in the nonprofit sector, and I'm healthy. I'm not addicted to alcohol or drugs, though I will admit a certain weakness for chocolate. I will admit that. Um, (laughs) that, Well, that's just normal, okay? That's That's right. But for me to be, to me to have, you know, gone through what I went through traumatically and come out on the other end, it's a direct result of what I call 30 years of chain gang therapy, really difficult therapy that I was determined to, forge on with so that I could have something like a normal life. But if you don't have the privilege of that, right, that access to those mental health services, the ability to continue to follow through with it, if you're mired in the addictions that are common to those, common to those who have experienced horrendous forms of trauma as sexual trauma is, well the chances that you would turn around and stay in life and you yourself become a trafficker is extraordinarily high if you Hmm. aren't able to, as I have, you know, escaped, which is, in essence, I did. I, You know,
0: Uh, and, and, uh, you know, what we – I
1: can't – I have so
0: many questions. Um, One thing is – I'm going to back up a little bit but I think it needs clarification. All your talk about the Port Authority and New York and blah, 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 um, this isn't a phenomenon that only happens with urban
1: girls. Oh, no, not at um, all. Not at, at all. In Some
0: fact,
1: rural
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, so could yeah. you talk a little bit about that, that
1: this is of not, course. that might be one of those misconceptions that this is only for the city girls that run away to no. New York? The vast majority of traffic – there's a lot of different organizations, like the National Hotline, um, like the Office of Victims of Crime, the United States Office of Justice. There's some really powerful, powerful research, very accessible online, the United Nations. um, A lot of research out there about this phenomenon. Um, But from the – basically from a police perspective and law enforcement perspective – uh, there was a recent um, study that showed that only about um, uh, 5 to 10% of acquiring, um, uh, you know, acquiring victims I was acquired happened actually in transport centers. Um, that in truth, by far the largest uh, source now is online. And of course, anyone's vulnerable um, at that point um, where... Basically, a trap is set, and someone walks into the trap, and then off they go. And there's a lot of ways that the trap is sprung. Again, I'm not an expert, but I'm deeply informed. Um, but no, it's, a, it's a, just as much a rural issue as it is an urban issue. Um, and, of course, the access to the Internet has dramatically changed the profile of how traffickers acquire uh, slaves, sex trafficking slaves. Absolutely. mm
0: mm-hmm. So we're looking at uh, a huge chunk of this being online recruitment or um, uh, misleading uh, relationships or um, um, information online that um, but is it always just young girls? I mean, I think of I mean, who among us is not super skeptical anymore about anything they read online, except young people who haven't you know necessarily developed that spidey sense yet? But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. trafficking also can happen with older women and and men, can it not?
1: Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, There are um, a recent article in Psychology Today um, talked about um, invisible chains, the psychology of recruitment. Um, But um, many traffickers admit they get further with honey than, quote, unquote, vinegar, Right. Uh, many trafficking victims, as they're seduced into their circumstance by traffickers posing as adoring suitors, um, and they've stayed in their situation out of quote-unquote love for their abuser. Um, sometimes these relationships are, are actually out in the open, uh, paraded in front of you know ordinary citizens who might fail to recognize the signs that are going on. And I think that's a very important point, how do you recognize a survivor? How do you recognize a victim? Um, because all of us are in circumstances where, as I was, I escaped the sexual trafficking. I came home and didn't tell anybody. Um, but if someone who had really known what to look for would have seen it, me wearing it all over myself. As it was, I was lucky. Ten years later, in my young uh, late twenties, early thirties, I myself, um, you know, started seeking therapeutic help. Um, But I think the word seduction is the correct word here. Um, You also have something they refer to as the pretty woman syndrome, the glamorization, right, of a a new life, a different life. Um, So I think, um, and sadly, um, to your point, many, many victims enter the sex trade when they're young and impressionable. Uh, 12 to 14 is the average age of entry into the business
0: several months ago, I was privileged to hear a speaker. I wish I could remember her name, and I, I apologize. I should have looked it up. Um, but she wrote a book, and um, wonderful speaker. She was in a fairly wealthy suburb of Michigan, and mm-hmm. she was in that age range that you're talking about, the 12 to 14. And she started dating an older man, who of course was just—I mean, what young girl doesn't want to date the the twenty-something uh, who has mm-hmm. the car and who has the the uh, sophistication, et cetera, et cetera? And she got uh, into sex trafficking that way. And mm-hmm. she said that basically what happened is she he, he wooed her, and then one night, then when they were supposed to go out. He instead took her to a hotel, and she was gang-raped by multiple men. And then he said, you know, the, the carrot and stick thing, and then he said, if you tell anyone about this, you know, I'll hurt your family, I'll, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And yep. so for probably two or three years when she was in high school, he would text her on a phone. She would crawl out her window, meet him two blocks away so that nobody would See him picking her up he would take her to a hotel and or a motel and this would be repeated like two three four times a week her parents mm-hmm. never knew
1: mm-hmm. and
0: mm-hmm. she because the last time he did it that there were also drugs involved he would drug her and the last time they overdrugged her they overdosed her and left her in the motel for dead she was found, She, her story had to come out, and she was able to get some help and, and you know, create a, a, a great life um, on these ashes. So she's to be admired, but I think what really impressed me about that is that the stereotype that we have, those of us who are not knowledgeable about this, is what we were talking about before, that it's urban, that it's only, um, you know, the, that it's the girls who run away from home, that, you know, this, her story showed that no, this can happen next door, and it coordinates so much with what you're saying about keeping quiet about it, carrying that burden right. on your own instead of reaching out. And that, again, is an, uh, an immaturity thing. I, as no matter what your chronological age, if you're mature, you go, wait a minute, no, this is crazy, I'm going to tell everybody up and down the road until this stops or I get help or he's punished but when we're a little bit younger and more naive uh, or even when we're older and and more naive or we feel we have something to protect or it's it's so easy to be manipulated into keeping a secret that can continue to harm us and
1: i would just so, like to point out it's yes the young and impressionable that are that that have this reaction of keeping it secret it's actually all human beings of all age um i think is an important yes. thing so um to make a point and and what she experienced um, was a a cousin of what I experienced in so much as it was what's called a hotel motel based um, venue. Um, And um, most sexual trafficking victims um, are put into massage parlors or spas, massage spas. That's where most incidents of illicit sex trade happen. That involve trafficking uh, victims, pornography is the second biggest. Then there's residence-based commercial sex, right? Someone you come to a home, and that's where the transaction happens. Um, and then um, fifth, in the uh, National Human Trafficking Hotlines research, is the online online ad venue unknown. So when it comes to recruitment. Online and the internet is a, is, is a primary conduit for access to potential trafficking victims, um, particularly US based if you know if it's US- based victim and US-based trafficking. Um, but then when it comes to where is it happening, well then the online ad venue trails um, and the massage parlors that we all know about those become preeminent. Um, pornography residence based commercial sex, and last but not least before um, venue unknown is the hotel motel based which this woman that you were relating her story that 's what she experienced and yeah. that is what I experienced mm. with that absolutely
0: let 's talk a little bit about statistics. what percentage of people in this in in America Will be a victim of trafficking, sex trafficking. I
1: honestly don't know that statistic, um, but Mm -hmm. um, certainly before the end of the show, I can see if I can um, acquire that. Um, But again, I think the important thing is: number one, it doesn't happen elsewhere; it happens here in our country. It is not Mm -hmm. a small industry in the United States; it's a huge industry, multi-billion. The word is billion-dollar industry in the United States. Um, and to your point, it affects mostly women, but also men, and mostly young women, but also women of all ages and men of all ages. Yes. Very important. Um, And I'm interrupting, and I apologize, Heather. Um, Something that that I find is not talked about very much um, that I tend to focus on is, well, what is it like to have once you escape that life how do you heal how do you how do you go on to lead a normal life and 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 I think just as this sort of sense Heather that it's something that happens elsewhere it doesn't happen here there's also a perception a lack of understanding of just how profoundly traumatic sex sexual trauma is relative to other traumas um, and there's been a, a, there's a body of research out there, Heather, about it. It's pretty hidden. It, it doesn't quite rise up to the level of mass communication um, in an ordinary day. Um, but there are some circles, some therapeutic circles, that identify sexual trauma as the most traumatic of all traumas, impacting the survivor emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. In every conceivable manner, uh, sexual trauma devastates um, to the extent that um, diagnosticians, when they talk about uh, and again i'm not an expert, but you know well read and, and deeply informed about this topic, having survived it myself, and as I like to say, Heather I transcended it, I like to say that um, mm-hmm. they talk about um, Obviously, you would expect survivors of sexual trafficking to have um, p s t d we hear that term right p s t d but well, PS, thank you p s t d um, that yeah. um, in truth most trauma is incidental right it happens and you recover from it you get shot in a, in a mass shooting, which is horrible but it's an incident right most um Most sexual trauma and, of course, trafficking by definition is what's called a polymorphic, right? It happens more than once. And when you talk about when I was trafficked, I was in a locked hotel room. Um, Men would be brought in to me. And in some some days that would be six men. And that trauma has its own... um, designation um, in the, uh, you know, PTSD um, universe, and it's called complex PTSD. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's its own, own, own monster. Um, And I will say uh, very openly that I have been in active therapy since I was 29. I'm now 62. Um, And I'm very grateful for that. I can't even tell you how grateful I am that I've had that. Now, some of that, uh, Heather, has been what I call um, engine rebuild therapy. You're ripping everything down to the stuff to start and starting over. Um, and then you start to take a break, and that's oil change therapy in between, right, or painting the room therapy in between. Um, I also refer to it, Heather, as chain gang. Um, the, the healing process from significant trauma, in order, imagine this, Heather, you walk across the street and a car hits you. Well, the ambulances show up right away. They take you right to the hospital. They make sure that your bones are, you know, put in casts or you know, whatever they need to do, and they heal correctly. People bring you flowers. Everybody's there for you. When you are hit by the freight train of sexual trauma, you literally are crawling home by yourself to heal. And so everything heals, quote unquote, but it doesn't heal correctly because you're doing it by yourself and you're doing it unaided. And so when you walk into the therapeutic process, now is this long agonizing process of breaking every bone that healed so you can be set correctly and heal correctly. Well, no wonder so few people seek therapeutic healing. It's hard. It's incredibly hard, but of course, worth Mm -hmm. the investment worth
0: the investment one of the things that i'm noticing in in our conversation is that there are many similarities between survivors of domestic violence including the complex ptsd and sexual trauma i understand obviously there are differences uh although very very similar very similar yeah yeah and and it goes back to what you were first talking about about the uh accepting shame and guilt assuming that it's our fault, assuming that, you know, we did something to cause this. Um, And then going all the way through to keeping it secret, keeping it secret, you know, who wants to tell their friends and family that they're married to this abusive person who does these horrible things the recovery as well, uh, since the, v- the studies vary on uh, domestic violence, but because it is complex PTSD, it's different from that one-shot trauma, you know, the school right. shooting, the traffic accident. Those, uh, you know, and any psychologist will, uh, will admit that the research shows that those events, the, the single or even double events, are much easier to treat PTSD than the complex, ongoing, repetitive trauma that occurs with something like domestic violence or sexual um, trafficking. The similarities, uh, I mean, obviously there are differences that I'm hearing you talk about, but the similarities are also pretty staggering. What can we, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to talk about that yet. Um, I want to get a little bit more background information. When, in your personal experience, what prompted you to get away from it? What,
1: was, what enabled you
0: to get away from it?
1: Um, one night, um, there was a knock on my door, which had never happened before. And it was um, the trafficker's main woman. Um, her name was Sandy. And she knocked on my door, and she said, you need to leave. And then she, I was in an adjoining bedroom, with the trafficker, I was in a locked room with a bathroom, I did have a bathroom and I was in I had a bedroom bathroom and then I was in a, it was an old sort of seedy hotel in um, Midtown and sort of pre, the pre-ignification of Times Square, right? The old New York, right? The rough New York City. And so I opened my door, I grabbed my coat, I opened my door, made sure I my clothes on and there Sandy was on the bed with my trafficker, um, had been stabbed, very badly stabbed. And you could see the stab wounds, and he was bleeding all over the bed. And she was holding him in her arms. And so I had this very vivid memory of just creeping around the edge of the room, their room, and to the door to get out. Um And that's how I escaped. And then I just lived on the streets of New York. I I slept on fire escapes, and I got very good at sleeping in hotel lobbies, sleeping and looking as if I belonged there. I did that for a long time. Um, Until finally, I sort of put two and two together um, that whatever the disaster was at home, and again, I didn't experience my sexual abuse in the home, but rather from a family friend, close to the family, that's not an unusual situation. I said, well, however bad it is at home, it's worse here. And I uh, scraped some money together to get a ticket to take a bus back home. Um, so that's how I escaped. Um, but I think more significantly is how did I work my way out of the trauma? And mm-hmm. it was the the disintegration of my first marriage. Um, I had two beautiful little girls The marriage was not going well, not going in a healthy direction for either of us. And thankfully, I had a general, I had a doctor, a general practitioner, who said, listen, Siobhan, I sense there's something going on here. Um, Would you be willing to go see a dear friend of mine, Betty, Betty Hummer was her name. She's a great therapist. And, you know, if you don't hit it off, you don't hit it off. But I would consider a personal favor if you would go see her. And it was that astute diagnostician, that doctor, who just smelled that something wasn't right, um, that, that started in the process of therapy. And uh, Betty Hummer herself, who has since sadly died of cancer, I continued with a colleague of hers who retired, who been recommended me to Sue Schaefer, who I'm with now. Um, Betty magically knew how to handle somebody like me. I sat down in the chair, not really realizing why I was there or what reason I was there. She just calmly asked me to recount my life. Well, for the first time in my life, Heather, I told, her, I told a person my story. And in some part of my brain, I thought what I had experienced was normal. And she's listening to me and she's like, uh, okay, we need to stop, Siobhan. I just need to make something clear what you experienced, and it wasn't just the sexual trafficking, it was to that, the challenged home life, all of it. She said, this is not normal. It's miraculous that you're okay, that you're intact, but um, this is not normal, and I just want to congratulate you for surviving to this day, and I would be really honored, you know, to work with you, and she couldn't have done a better job. She didn't she accepted me as I was. she made it both my doctor and Betty Hummer. They were sort of imagine like you're in the woods and you're trying to lure a squirrel to come get our bird to come get in your hand. That's what they managed to pull off, and it's a small miracle they did because you know entering into um a therapeutic relationship with a trained professional um is something that most people are not able to do. And I think I have to give most of the credit to these superb professionals who read Something Was Off, asked me to tell my story, listened to me while I did it, didn't judge when I did it, didn't overreact, and then stayed in relationship with me for many, many years um, as I, you know, walked down the path took the journey of healing. And with one in three women it is estimated to have been sexually assaulted, sexually traumatized sometime in their life, and I think it's one in ten for men, we are surrounded every day by individuals who have been traumatized, who have deep hurt um, and are in need of healing. And so it is a small miracle that it was identified in me, and I was directed to a place where I could start the process of unwinding all that to become a person physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, um, to be with you today um, and talk about this. And again, Heather, the big hallmark of this trauma is silence. And so I, I take it as an obligation that my job is to be as unsilent about it as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One other question about the, the
0: background. Um, you said that you had left home. You had run away because mm-hmm. of sexual abuse mm-hmm. in your home.
1: Not actually in my home. A is, family friend, yeah. Okay. I was um, a babysitter, babysitter to his daughter. Um, so every time mm-hmm. I was picked up and dropped off, I was raped. Mm. I think uh, there is
0: uh, an, an idea or notion that it's runaways only happen because there's something to run away from, that it's not just uh, that, that if you're looking at runaways, you're looking at probably some sort of sexual abuse, some sort of something. What's the correlation between runaways and victims of sexual trafficking?
1: Um. Very high. Um, There is, um, let me give me one minute to, I'm pretty sure it's the Office of Justice um, that uh, talks about that the, um, the overwhelming majority of trafficking victims are runaway girls who have experienced sexual abuse in some form. And the classic age is twelve to fourteen. I was a little older. I was sixteen um, but um that percentage is very high, very high okay and again, it doesn't have to be sexual abuse in the home. it can be outside the home it can be um, it can come from a lot of different quarters um, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. it is deeply traumatizing, and a not uncommon yep. response is to run away.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that I want to ask you is, how do we protect our young people? From That's a
1: really particularly- wonderful question. I'm, I think an organization I'm a big fan of, um, and there's a lot of wonderful organizations in the women's space now, far more than there ever has been. And, of course, the heightened awareness of the Me Too um, has been enormously helpful and beneficial, um, a sort of ending of silence in at least high prof- some high-profile industries like entertainment. Um, but I think that um, – and, you know, I apologize, Heather. I got so lost. I was so excited. Oh, how do we prevent that? All right, I got so excited about Me Too there for a second, Heather. I lost my train of thought. But how do we prevent um, – it is lay it all on the line, be as open as possible. This organization has a brilliant program where they talk to young women and the young women are trained to talk to their friends in an open way about um, what the sexual exploitation look like, um, what does it look like, um, you know, to be, um, quote, unquote, seduced, right, into A trafficking situation, when are your rights being impinged on? How to identify when the culture is brainwashing you about your own sexuality? Um, The answer unequivocally information and making sure there's no silence. Um, When I started the therapeutic journey, I was 29. I had at that point two little, little girls who've grown up into just incredible young women my daughters. And since then, we have also had a son who just turned 18. We do believe in spacing in our family, 36, 34, and 18 years old. We believe in spacing. Um, and a few grandchildren and thrown in for size, right? But um, I had been in the therapeutic process for, I would say, maybe six years, Heather. And I realized that a lot of what had happened to me was because my own mother um, who really struggled in her life with suicidal depression, su- serious alcoholism, but really in the final decade of her life was able to really turn a corner there and be there for our grandchildren, her grandchildren, excuse me. Um, but I, we had an intervention for her, for her alcoholism. She was amazing with it and started having the first therapy of her life, Heather, when she was in treatment. And I would go visit her every day. And she shared with me, she said, Siobhan, I think all of this started when I was raped at six by a family friend who was 16. And I was never able to tell anyone. And that woke me up to the fact that it wasn't enough for It was important that I was seeking therapeutic healing. But because my mother never had, she unwittingly passed on a series of behaviors to me and ways of looking at the world that I absorbed like an unintentional Mickey Finn. And I wore that vulnerability out into the world, and it made me, it put a target on my back for me to be victimized myself. And that is one of the hallmarks of of sexual um, abuse is it's more often than not multi-generational because it's when we don't deal with things, we pass them on. And mm-hmm. so I realized that with my my little girls, I was going to have to, and my therapist was very helpful with, and my husband, I remarried, an amazing man. And we sat down with the girls and we told them my story. And it was hard, and it was somewhat traumatic for them. But I knew it was a necessary inoculation because I had no idea, I, I there was no way I could begin to get my hands on around how I had unwittingly passed things on to them as my mother had passed things on to me. And we still, the girls and I still, you know, Throughout my therapeutic journey, they have been fully informed of everything along the way, um, and they've absorbed all that, and and they have walked out into the world as strong, independent, boundaried young women. Um, And that is the key. And again, I don't hear many people talk about it, but I think it's essential. We have to be honest. We have to be careful, of course, to not traumatized through too much information, of course. Um, we have to make sure things are age-appropriate. However, honesty is the only answer. Um, and being attuned to what the symptoms are. Um, when I was being led to my, you know, leading up to where I ran away from home, I started gaining enormous amounts of weight um, very fast, And eating, of course, is is sort of a hallmark sign of sexual abuse, um, uncontrolled eating. Um, There's lots of other signs, too, of course, Uh, sleeplessness, uh, nightmares, sleep interruption. Those are classic uh, PTSD symptoms also. Um, I had enormous sleep disturbances. Um, I had uh, started gaining weight. I was eating whole, and I'd always been a very athletic very trim, uh, young woman. But I started eating whole half gallons of ice cream, whole jars of peanut butter, whole loaves of bread, and I would eat them in the dead of the night when I couldn't sleep. Um, So being attuned to some of these classic signs that something is awry. Um, Isolation, self-mutilation. You know, again, I'm not an expert by any means but uh, well-informed and in having gone through, you know, this traumatization myself. I think the answer is information, and the answer is to our children, boys and girls, and two, being very alert, um, watching for signs that something they can't verbally tell us because it's too traumatic, because they are ashamed, because they're traumatized, because they're incorrectly guilty. But it will show, they will talk in other ways. They will tell mm-hmm. us in other ways. But we have to be extraordinarily attuned. And that's not just parents. It's teachers, too, and, and care providers. So. I
0: think that's very, very good advice. I know in our state right now they passed a rather sweeping um, sex ed bill for public education and it's been very controversial as these things always are. And to tell you the truth, I don't, I don't know. My my kids are past that age and I always was very open with them and uh, what I hope was an age appropriate manner, but I never kept anything secret. Uh, so there was a, something on the radio you know, about, uh, you know, something that had to do with some sort of sexual thing. We'd talk about it while we were driving around because kids can always talk better when you're not looking at them. Um, And, you know, I I tried to not keep anything secret, uh, but at the same time, not give them more information than they can handle uh, for their ages. Um, So I'm not, Opposed, you know, to education in any way, shape, or form. Although having had kids go through some of the sex ed programs, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I thought my third grader was ready to learn about anal sex. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you, I think it's a, a tightrope to walk, uh, to be open, but appropriately open, um, and, and that's a tough thing for a parent to do. But nowhere in this sex education curriculum that I have seen does it talk at all about the vulnerability. It talks about date rape. It talks about, you know, uh, asking and gaining permission for any kind of touch or whatever. Um, And this starts in kindergarten in our state. But nowhere in that curriculum have I seen anything about trafficking and sexual uh, trafficking. And I think that's a glaring notion. Um
1: i think it I think it reflects what you started this conversation with that the perception doesn't happen here um and of course, it always takes time uh, it's like glacial sometimes for things to creep into institutional um you know educational um formats like you know sex education in schools. think of how many mm-hmm. how many decades it took to even get what we have how long that took- um And so when when we have these deficiencies, it really falls upon us as parents, grandparents, care providers, teachers, um, you know, to make sure that we create an environment where we're sharing honestly what's going on. um, And hopefully if we can, of course, it's extraordinarily difficult, create an environment where if something's not going right, young people in our circles can tell us when something is wrong, you know, can yeah. tell us. Well,
0: that, I, I think one of the things that I always tried to do was um, your kids are not, no matter how wonderful a, a parent you are, your kids are not necessarily always going to open up to you in every way.
1: That is correct. Um, absolutely correct, the, yeah.
0: Yeah, so from very early ages, we we have children trying to protect parents and uh, keeping things from them that they think might be too difficult for the parent to to hear. Um, And I always tried to make sure there was a friend, a family friend, uh, another family, another mom that my kids could openly talk with, and I would encourage them to do that. If we'd had grandma or whatever, I would have encouraged that, Um, you know, I, th- I think that sometimes that option is overlooked as a resource in dealing with these kinds of things. Uh, it's really important that your kids have somebody besides you that they are comfortable and safe confiding in and talking with.
1: And, that, and that's the- not an easy. And that's not an easy thing to, to provide for our children. Um, you know, if you and I think about when I even just look back to how my mother was raised, she was raised in Plainfield, New Jersey, where. She had aunts and uncles and cousins around her. Um, You know, the whole concept of it takes a village to raise a child. Um, Mm -hmm. But now we're, you know, extra except before CV-19, I want to point out, we're extraordinarily mobile, moving a lot. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, usually not near relatives. So, you know, hats off to you, Heather, for working intentionally to create another layer of support for your children. It was very, very smart of you to do that because it's hard. You have to focus on it um, to be able to do it. And the whole thing is just incredibly difficult. There's nothing easy about it at all. I remember vividly, um, you know, a family member once saying to me, don't tell my children about this. Because I'm pretty and I talk about it. And I understand where they were coming from. Because, you know, they didn't want their children to know about the dark side of things. But I thought, you know, the, it's almost like the only insulation or the only tools we can provide to our children to handle these things is by telling them um, what has happened. Um, yeah. So I understand everyone's caution. I understand everyone's reticence. But we have to figure out a way to thread that needle. To let our children know that because one out of three is not a small statistic, right? No. The likelihood that a woman will experience something that's sexually traumatizing in her life—it's one out of three. Exactly. Um, exactly. So we have to figure out a way to prepare. Um, well, the 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 you
0: hit on one of my hot buttons, and that is we live in a culture where it makes it so easy for us to blame the victim because all we talk about is positive stuff. I call it the rainbow glasses. We just Mm -hmm. want to put on those rainbow glasses and all we see are the happy. And we can hear about, Oh, a little bad thing once and kind of get over it. And, you know, if, if, uh, this happened to a friend of mine who was widowed after 45 years of marriage. You know, oh. Can you imagine being the same man for 45 years
1: and no. widowed? And,
0: of course, she was in her 60s. And she said everybody was so supportive for three months. At the mm-hmm. end of three months, it was, well, why don't you sell this house? Oh, have you dated? You know, you got to get over it. Move on, move on. And she went, 45 years, and they're giving me three months to move on? But right. we, as a culture, have limited... How much we 're willing to hear about the bad stuff, and of then, course. if we hear about the bad stuff, if we hear about somebody who has been through something traumatic and it's it 's a year later or two years later and they 're still trying to deal with it, then we start blaming that victim you know you're not you 're not thinking positively enough you're not and and it 's not just with a uh, trauma that we're talking about, it also is with you know, physical ailments. I, I, I had a friend who was a, a hospice nurse, and she was saying once... That oh, she was going wow. To quit she
1: the- deserves... A, that's an, a very noble profession, that. No, very
0: noble. Well, yes, She wanted to quit not because it was so hard dealing with patients who were dying. It was hard dealing with patients who were dying who were blaming themselves for dying because Mm -hmm. clearly if eaten right, exercised enough, had positive enough thoughts, this
1: wouldn't be happening to them. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, remember, well, and again, God bless her for doing that noble work. I mean, and this is again, just me speaking from my own perspective, you know, we are the nation that uh, we're famous for holding death at bay. Um, We, It's one of the reasons we spend exponentially more on health care per capita than any nation by a wide country mile. And most of that expenditure is is, um, at the time of death, right? That we're fighting it. Um, Or a lot of it is at that, you know, the final uh, years of our lives. We're famous for it as Americans. Um, But within that frame, I think if we can hold on to, at least as parents, we can hold on to the idea that silence is the enemy. And silence is part of the perpetuation of trauma. And if we don't talk about it, if we don't deal with it, it will it will inexorably move to the next generation. It's not something mm-hmm. that goes away. There's that wonderful quote from Faulkner, right? Um, the past is not past. In fact, there is no such thing as past, right? So, you know, trauma is something that hangs in the air, um, stays with us, we wear it, we eat it, we breathe it, it's in our bloodstream. But beautifully, as human beings, we have this tool called talking, expressing, releasing, that exhumates, that that we can exhume our trauma, we can bring it to light, and bringing it to light causes its own secondary trauma, admittedly, but then we're free. And we can guarantee the freedom of future generations from, you know, this kind of trauma moving forward into generations. Um, There is something that I thought was particularly notable um, about the um, Office of Justice, um, the way it talked about uh, trafficking. And again, anyone can access this. It's the U.S. Office of Justice. Thank goodness for the Internet, right? We can, you know, dive right on. Uh, and they identified um, a small constellation, a short constellation of um, sort of symptoms. Um, number one were feelings of severe guilt. Now imagine if you get hit by a car, you don't, unless you like stepped out in front of it and misread the traffic light, right? But if the car goes through a stoplight and hits you, you don't feel guilty over it. You don't feel guilty. Um and well, wait. A so, minute. if it's, you were raised by my mother, you would. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Understood. But you know, <laughs> it's so important to recognize um, again if we have, if it's this big of an industry in the United States and globally, that means there are a huge number of victims walking around out there, living their lives either after being trafficked or. They're in the middle of being trafficked, um, and so each one of those individuals feels guilty what is, by what has been done to them, and that guilt keeps them, makes them be silent, and that's what we need to, you know, break through. Um, and for all of us, just being trying to be attuned to what we see behaviorally around us, so that maybe we can be. You know if we have a question in our mind if we're a teacher, we can ask the question: Is there something going on mm-hmm. if we see a child that's going in school that's going through significant weight gain in a you know small period of time, who starts isolating um, who you know used to be involved in everything and now does nothing um, you know when we see those things happening, if we can be part of a voice of concern um then we can be part of the solution. We can be part of the solution.
0: On on that great advice, um, I'm looking at the clock going, wow, an hour can't possibly have gone by this quickly. Uh, But such important information that you have shared with us, I would like you to share a little bit more, and that is what are some resources if I want to know more about sexual Mm -hmm. trafficking? If I want to know more or I suspect that someone in my family might be affected, what are some resources mm-hmm. that you can uh,
1: send folks to? Absolutely. The number one is the National Human Trafficking Hotline, Heather. Um, that number, pretty easy to remember. Um, also, if you just Google National Human Trafficking Hotline, it pops right up. Um, but it's um, 888-373-7888. And again, that's 888 888- Three seven three seven eight eight eight, 7888 And then, um, you know, easily accessed on the Internet, the Office of Justice and the Office of Victims of Crime have – and in fact, all you have to do is put U.S. human trafficking and all this stuff comes up right away, Heather. Um, but the Office of Victims of Crime have just really powerful information there. Um, they have things easily available to anybody online – that are basically free information that, that anyone can use to help mm-hmm. identify when you know someone is a survivor, um, identify when there might be a trafficking situation going on. And last but not least, sort of more 10,000 feet up in the air globally, um, but still really informative is the United Nations. Um, they have a report easily to access but lots of other information in addition to this. Um, one of my go-to's is the united nations report on human trafficking um exposes modern form of slavery um Mm -hmm. but again all easy to access and again just putting in u.s human trafficking or u.s sexual trafficking um, on the internet and all of this does come up but i have to put a big nod out there to the national human trafficking hotline who do a really incredible job in my opinion
0: well those are some great resources and as you said during the the interview the, great, the best place to start, the most important place to start is with information. And yep. fortunately, it sounds like we're able to get a lot of good information about this phenomenon. And, you know, I, I deal periodically with people who say, oh, I want to support my community. I want to volunteer. Um, where's the food bank? Or I'll cook uh, food for the homeless shelter or whatever. I have not heard anyone ever say, I want to help prevent or deal with human trafficking, and so mm-hmm. I think that I'm going to start pushing that a little bit. That should be on our agenda right up there with the food banks. This is something that well, we can do.
1: Absolutely, and, and but I understand where people are coming from. I have uh, I have had some friendships lost about my openness about this. Um, yes. I've had those rainbow glasses. We we
0: don't want to deal well, with anything that
1: doesn't filter through
0: our well, rainbow in, glasses.
1: In fairness to people, this is often people's worst fear. Yeah, It's traumatizing to even know about it. It's traumatizing to mm-hmm. hear about it. Um, that is how significant this is. So, in my book, Heather, I'm going to get anyone a get out of jail free pass if it's just too much. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I well, you can give totally
0: them the get out of jail free card. I'm, I'm going to him the th- <laughs> <here>. <laughs> give them the
1: ben, get out of jail jail free card thing. Here, It been delightful
0: having you on the show. I hope you'll come back, talk to us of more, uh, perhaps keep up with some of the latest research on mm-hmm. treatment and uh, prevention of human trafficking. Thank you, and thank you for being so open and honest with us, and thank you for uh, sharing your story. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week.